0: happy to be here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Joel. I would love to meet you out in the lobby afterwards. My wife, Jennifer, would also love to meet you. We're so glad that you're here. And that you are with us at Oaks Church today. Uh, I'm excited. We're talking about family. We're in the middle of a series called Family Matters. We know that family matters to God. Family matters to each and every one of us. And we're all in different ways, shapes, or forms. We've got our own personal, like natural blood family. Uh, we've got our church family. We've got friends. Y'all know that sometimes you can have a friend. The Bible says there is a friend that's closer than a brother. There's a there's a certain times God brings friends into your life that are literally like family to you. And so we want to talk about that type of thing. And we want to help you uh, be the best family you can be and and get the most out of your church family as well. I want to start today uh, with recapping just a couple of things. Last week, I shared four points that I've never shared before. It's going to become part of our actual Align membership class because it's so strong um, on how you can be literally what I called an MVP of your family. And these things, these principles, they translate translate into your personal family, they translate into your business, they translate into your church family, all of those different things. And the first one of these things was to be present. Be present. If you're not present it's hard to have a vote. If you're not present, it's hard to have a voice in certain situations. And it's important for for me and for my family. It's super important for Jennifer and I to be present. We want to make sure that when our kids need us, when our kids are, are going through what they're going through, that we are present. We're there. We don't want our kids to ever look back and think, you know what? I wish my dad would have just been there. I wish my mom would have just been there. We do everything we can to try to be present. And that works at, at your work too. And it works at your church to your presence is valuable. The Bible is very certain and very sure when it commands us to never forsake the gathering together, the coming together of the believers. It's a very important thing that we do. And it's one of the ways that you make yourself valuable is you're there. It's hard to be there for people if you're not there. Amen. Amen. And you understand that church is not about what you can get. Church is, is about what you give right? Church is about what you give. We're here because we're here to worship him. And I get it in part of our church culture. uh, When we come into church, we're expecting that, you know, Pastor Joel, he better have prayed this week. He better, I I, I need to hear, I need to hear the word. It's time. I need to hear the word. I need, I need to get, you know, feet. Come on, let's go. I mean, you want, and, and I do and our team does, we make sure that we always come and we bring the best, but really what happens in your own personal life, when you begin to realize that I'm here to give, I'm here for how I can be a blessing to the other people around me. It changes everything, changes everything. When you come to give instead of come to get the second thing is be planted. So be present and be planted. What does planted mean? That means that, that you're not just present. You're not just there, but you're involved. You found a place that you've plugged in. You've plugged in. You've planted yourself. You're involved in the nursery. You're involved in women's ministry. You're involved in uh, the parking lot. You're involved in men's stuff. You're involved. I mean, you're just plugged in. You found a place to serve. I mean, the the church that Jennifer and I grew up in, uh, when we met each other, the cult, they didn't have small groups. The pastor didn't like small groups, didn't believe in small groups. He thought small groups were the number one way to split your church. That's what he would say people get in groups start talking come up with crazy ideas he's like if you want to have friends volunteer somewhere that's the church i grew up in you want to make friends come and serve plug in because if you're, if you're serving together, you're going to build relationships together, right? And that's what we did. And it, we built an incredible relationship. We built great churches, all that kind of stuff. But it was a valuable thing. So when you're plugged in in your family, you're not just present, you know, but, but you're, you're plugged in, you're serving, you're looking for ways that you can give yourself. Number three, be a producer. What does that mean? That means that you're actually a contributor. So in your family, you're a contributor in your family. You're not just there. You're not just plugged in somewhere or playing, but you're actually producing. You're looking at how can I make this family better? It works the same thing at your work. If you're the person at work, that's always present. When the boss looks around, you're present. When when the leadership looks around, they see you plugged in and planted. They see you producing. You're a part of this thing. Guess what? Opportunity is going to come in your future. Years ago, I was frustrated in my career. I was sitting in a position in my career and I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm just frustrated. It seems like people are getting produced or or promoted ahead of me and I'm not getting my shot and I'm not getting my chance. And I had the opportunity to get offended and I had the opportunity to get discouraged, but instead I went to work on myself. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be a better version of me. In fact, the next time there's a promotion, the next time they're looking for someone, they're going to look around this organization and I will be the most obvious choice. I will be there. I'll be present. I'll be plugged in. I'll be planted. I'll be producing. I'll be that guy that when they look around, they're like, oh my God, it has to be Joel. I mean, look at, look at how he's producing at higher level. He's doing this, we're doing that. That's the type of mindset you want to have at your work, at your home. You want to be the MVP in your home that your kids recognize, your spouse recognizes, your family, your your business partners recognize that you are someone that is producing, you're bringing something to the table. Number four, be a pro creator. What does that mean? That means you're about making this family bigger. You're about adding to the family, right? At some point in time, not yet, I want my daughters to give me grandbaby boys. I want boys. The only boys I have to hang out with are my dogs. I got three dogs and all of them are fixed got issues at my house, right? I need some grandbaby boys, but not yet. Right? Not yet. We'll wait a little bit longer. Wait a little bit longer for the grandbaby boys, but I need some. I need some, right? I want them to help grow the family. Well, you guys are doing a great job because a couple of weeks ago, we're like, hey, y'all, there's some empty seats around here. Why don't you come and help us and fill up some of these seats and be pro-creators? And you guys are doing it. Look, there's, all the seats are full. Our first service was full. I thought first service would be bigger than second uh, today, but y'all, y'all showed up, man, you're here. That's awesome. And you're bringing friends. I'm seeing new faces. You're a pro-creator. That's awesome. That's a great thing. That's how you become an MVP wherever you wanna be. Amen? Good stuff. Well, let's pray real fast. We're gonna talk today about partnerships. Father, in the name of Jesus, release your wisdom, release your your, your nature, release your word. God, uh, nobody is here to hear just some dude's thoughts. We're here to worship you and to receive from you. Father, would you speak today to your children in Jesus name? Amen. 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 Partnerships. Your marriage is a partnership. And anytime that I speak and we're speaking about family, you're going to notice that I want to tie this in to all the different ways that it could um, be used or be valuable inside of your own personal life. So a marriage is a partnership. Jennifer and I are business partners at Scrivener Inc. All right. Our family house, our family, we are partners in this together. And that is a, a, a massive thing that's important for us. Even in our conversations that we have, she needs me to be her partner. I need her to be my partner. We're in this together, right? I also have business partners. I I pastor a church, but I was a businessman, and I love doing stuff in the business world. So I coach, and I consult, and I do different things in the business world, and I have a business partner or two uh, inside of the business world, and there's correlation between the things that make a great marriage work and the things that make a great business partnership work, right? When you have children, your children's teachers and coaches are your partners for helping raise them up. We've all heard it said, it takes a village, right? We've heard that said to raise up a child. You need people in your life that are your partners. If you have teenagers, you better believe that Mr. Tyler Wu Tang Wooten is your partner. You need him in your life because your kids as teenagers are going to have crisis from some time to time. They're going to have stuff. They're going to go through stuff and they need a youth pastor. They need a children's pastor. They need coaches. They need godly people surrounding them that aren't just you, right? We need some backup. Anybody ever needed some backup? Listen, my parents needed some backup. I was a lot to handle as a teenager. I got in a lot of trouble as a teenager. And if it wasn't for my youth pastor, when, when I got in so much trouble, when I got arrested at 16, not a proud moment, hard time for my family. But my dad took me to my youth pastor and I sat with him, his name's Kent Booth. And he looked me in the eyes And I was expecting judgment. I was expecting rejection. In my mind, I was the worst kid in his youth group because I was only there for girls. That's it. Jesus, you're cool. Chicas, right? That's it. And and I was, I'm telling you, I had wrong motives at his youth group, but he looked at me and he loved me and he saw goodness in me and he spoke to that goodness and he spoke to that greatness. And it was the love of my parents when I was at my lowest. It was the love of of a youth pastor when I was at my worst. Years later, that youth pastor would become my book publisher and two books have been published using his company. And I remember laughing and saying, man, I was the worst kid in your youth group. He goes, what are you talking about, man? You were an amazing kid. You had a great, this and this. And I'm sitting there going, dude, you have no idea. And he's like, no, I saw what God saw in you guys you need that in your life you need partners in your life to help you raise your family and to help you build the life partnerships are important when we look through uh, life all, every 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 great story or so many great stories there's there's a partnership involved man batman and robin right Tom and Jerry, not really applicable here. They weren't friends. What about Bill and Ted and their excellent adventures, right? You can look at so many great stories, Beavis and Butthead. You just name it, Bonnie and Clyde, right? There's these partnerships in life. I know some of those are horrible illustrations, right? <laughs> but it's those partnerships that are so memorable. And all through the Bible, God used partnerships, partnerships. So here's, here's what I believe. Anybody here uh, ever use Amazon. You got, you got Amazon showing up in your house. Are you a Prime member? They tricked us, you can be a Prime member. Now, it used to be, you buy something on Amazon and you get it like in the you know, few, a week or whatever. And then it was like, you buy it and it's Amazon in two days and now it's Amazon like same day. And pretty soon it's just gonna be Amazon. They thought about this, so I shipped it to them, right? I mean, it's you know, Amazon yesterday is what's coming next, who knows, but my wife loves her some Amazon, right? And, and the boxes show up, she wasn't here one day, and we come back from a trip we were gone five days and I showed a picture and she wasn't here to see it. There were 32 boxes at our house that day, right? It's just 32 boxes at our house when we got home from this trip. It was an amazing feat of Amazon and we weren't. And it was just a miracle of God, just the blessing of God just showing up, right? So we burned lots of boxes at the house. But, but, but we think about this, we think about most goods, good things that come to us in life come to us on some type of a ship. It flies through the air. It's an airship. It goes over the ocean. It's an ocean ship. It goes on land. It's a land ship. Something is being, good things are being shipped to us. When God wants to bring something good in your life, he brings you a relationship, a partnership, right? Adam and I became friends about 20 two, 23 years ago, we were both junior high pastors. We were sitting at the kiddie table at a youth conference. All the real youth pastors were at the big table and two junior high pastors sitting there, little flunkies at the small group table. And we became buddies. And 23 years later, here we are doing ministry together. Our families have grown up together because it was a relationship that turned into a partnership. Amen. Partnerships are important, You look at how God made Adam and he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to give him Eve. It was a partnership all through creation. You see partnerships and then you get into the new Testament and you see all kinds of incredible partnerships. And the reason is because nothing truly great can be done alone. If you can accomplish it all by yourself, it's not a big thing. You remember the first time your kids thought they could get dressed by themselves? I'll do it myself, right? Remember that? I can do it myself. I don't need help. They're four and, and their shirts on backwards and upside down. They got a head through an armhole. They got their pants. How did they button their pants? I don't know how they did it. Socks inside out, shoes on the wrong feet. I can do it myself, right? And sometimes as adults, we can have a child mentality and we want to do things ourselves because it takes work to interact with and to stay inside of a partnership. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron as one, hand, one friend enhances the countenance of his friend or sharpens his friend. Well, let me tell you something, when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. And the relationships that you have that sometimes have some sparks in them are from God and they're good for you because you need friends that will tell you the truth. You don't need a bunch of yes men. You need people that'll tell you the truth, real friends that will sharpen you, that will grab you sometimes and shake you. There was a time where Jennifer and I broke up because I was a jerk and I wouldn't be committed. And she's like, what are we? I said, what do you mean? She's like, what are we? Because when you're with me in private, you act like I'm your girlfriend. But when we're in public, you don't. Whoops. I am still shopping a little bit. It's 20. Come on. I was 20. I had issues. She's like, Well, what are we? I said, What? You want me to like, make a decision right now? She's like, Yes, right now. I'm like, Well, if you're backing me into a corner and you make, make a decision right now, I guess we're nothing. Yeah, I said it. And then I went to my best buddy, Brian. I'm like, Brian, hey, man, Jennifer and I broke up. He said, you what? I said, we broke up, man. She pat me in the corner. She pushed pushed me to make a commitment. And and she said, what are we? I said, we're nothing. He's like, you go back right now and you get her back. I said, what? He goes, Joel, she's the best thing that's ever happened to you. You're in love with her. You've never been happier. She's the one. She's the one, Joel. And if you can't see that, you're too stupid to be my friend. That's a friend. So I crawled back to her crying and begging and and she's a sucker. She took me back. But anyway, praise God. The rest is history. Partnerships. Next month, 28 years married to this woman, 30 years together. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's only God. Let me, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's God's grace. And it's, it's two people continuously trying to keep their hearts soft. Jesus said, yeah, okay, legally, yeah, here's a reason to get divorced. But that's only a reason because people get hard hearts. Hard heart is one of the number one ways to ruin a partnership. Become ungrateful, become a complainer, find faults everywhere, and focus on that. You can ruin a great partnership. But where people keep God first... And do everything they can to keep a soft, loving heart. Miracles can happen. Amen? Amen? Look at, let's look at some great partnerships in Scripture. David and Jonathan, we're going to look at that one today. Elijah and Elisha. Moses and Aaron. Caleb and Joshua. Paul and Barnabas. James and John. Ruth and Naomi. Man, the list goes on and on and on. God called people to be partners. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, he never sent them out alone. He always sent them with a partner. Why? Because two is better than one. The Bible says one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. That's a 10X, not a 2X. When you are in a, partner, a God partnership in business, in marriage, in friendship, if you're in a God partnership with God as the center of your friendship, your marriage, your business relationship, you have a 10X factor, not a 2X factor. That's what the Bible says. It's important that you understand. So here's the big question that we're going to dive into today. Are you a great partner? Are you a great partner? Are you in the relationship for what you can give? Or are you in the relationship for what you can get? That's probably the biggest question. Because a great partner understands that they got a part that they play, that they give. And they can then expect the other partner to, to, to reciprocate. And we're in this, we're 50-50 in this. We're, we're all in this together. Uh, Jennifer and I have gone to Ms. Cheryl Gray for marriage counseling. We, we went, the first time we went, I was 22 and she was 23. Thank you, Cheryl, for helping us stay married for so many years, right? And, 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 and I remember Cheryl one time telling me, she said, you know what? A marriage can stay together, a marriage can work if there's at least one selfless person. She said, if there's two selfish people, it'll never work. If there's at least one selfless person, they can stay together. But if two people can figure out how to be selfless, they can have an amazing relationship. And and that's what Jennifer and I try to do. We're still works in progress, but we try to do that. I wanna give you three things that great partners do. Three things, are you ready? Great partners provide, protect, and prefer each other. They they protect each other, they provide for each other, and they prefer each other. If Jennifer and I, or if my business partner and I, are always looking for ways to make sure that we're covering each other. We have each other's back. We're doing our part. We're providing for each other. We're protecting it. We're watching out for each other. And we're preferring each other. We're thinking, how can I be a blessing? How can I do this? How can I make this? I, I literally, this business partnership that I entered into a couple years ago, the Lord literally told me, I don't want you to negotiate. I'm like, you what? Because anyone in business knows you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. He's like, I don't want you to negotiate. I'm sending this person who is as a gift. And I want you to trust them. And I want you to tell them that you have been sent uh, to them to be a blessing and they have been sent to you by, by me and, and you're just gonna trust them. And you're gonna know that, they, that God has their, this, in, this relationship in, in his hands and his eyes and you're gonna lead through trust and not try to get what you wanna get. You're just gonna give and you're gonna trust. And it's been a great, a great partnership and a great friendship, but it was very backwards, but that's what God had me do. He had me serve first. Give first. Interestingly enough, there was a time in, in our relationship, Jennifer and I, where I was praying and I was asking God for solutions because we had some conflict and, and the Lord told me, I want you to submit to her. And I said, you what? Cause you know, I like the other verses that say the, the woman submit, right? That, that one's more fun for me. <laughs> the Lord's like, I want you to submit to her. I said, and this is my prayer. Can I I'll be real with you? I said, God, do you know her? I said, if I submit to her, she will run up one side of me, down the other track marks. I'll never get the reins back from this thing. He goes, no, Joel, if you sow submission, you'll reap submission. I'm like, wow, wow. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing when you give to others what you'd love to receive in the future and you do it in faith. It's an amazing thing. I want you to look at this uh, story. This is Jonathan and David, one of the great covenants, great friendships. Um, in, in, in ancient covenants, biblical covenants, there were typically eight steps that they would walk through when they were forming or cutting a covenant. That was what it was called, to cut a covenant. And the, f- the first step typically is that they would exchange their robes. The robe in ancient times represented their position, The family. You remember when uh, Joseph's father gave him a robe? The robe represented his favoritism, that he was the favorite son, and the other sons despised him because of that. He had a position that he had, and it was an ability to protect. So when you would exchange robes in the old uh, covenants, it was a symbol that I will protect and provide for you. The second thing they would do is they would exchange belts and their belt typically had a knife or a dagger or a sword on it. And what it represented is I'm giving you my weapons. I promise I'm vowing to you. I will not use my weapons to harm you. I'm going to use my ability, my position to protect you and provide for you. And I'm going to use my weapons to protect and provide for you. I'm not going to ever use them against you. They would go on from there and they would do multiple other things. They would exchange names. We exchange names in marriages today. It's traditional in our culture that oftentimes the husband gives, it's called a surname, and the wife receives a name from her husband. They become a family and have a family name is a custom that we have. It was an Old Testament too. Another thing that was interesting is they would make a scar. Thank God we don't do that today in modern uh, ceremonies, right? Although sometimes, uh, you know, life can bring all the scars on its own, right? We exchanged a ring. That's something we do inside of our cultures. But I remember I was five years old. My best friend Tyler Roberts and I, we became blood brothers up in my bedroom with a a little butter knife. We were doing surgery on uh, my crocodile uh, stuffed animal, and then we decided to become blood brothers. So, you know, we're still, you know, Tyler, if you're watching online, we're still... Right. It was more of a, just a scratch. Butter knife didn't do very well, you know, with the whole you know, blood brother thing, but it was, we, we attempted it. But that was part of it. It was the mingling of blood. It's like, I will sacrifice for you, I will be willing to bleed for you. That was part of this covenant. Another thing they would do is they would plant a tree. And the tree would represent their life together and their friendship together and what would grow over the years. Uh, And that was part of what they would do. Another thing they would do is they would have a, a covenant meal. And it's important. It's a picture of the specific things, the specific time you have where you turn things off and you shut things down and you focus and just be with the people just for the sake of relationship, not for the sake of anything else. And finally, they would exchange vows. They would make promises to each other. The sad thing is in our modern age, how quick we have forsaken vows oftentimes, and we have a culture of forsaking vows. People make promises and then all of a sudden, instead of of being about what they can give, they become about what they can get. And all of a sudden it's what about me? And what about my happiness? What about what I want? And none of those statements were in the vows that they made at that altar oftentimes those statements weren't in their conversations when they were becoming business partners or friends. What about what I get, right? It's all about, Hey, this is a mutual, it's a win win. We're going to win together. We're going to build together. And that's what it comes to when we're talking about preferring our partner. I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect, I'm going to prefer watch this first Samuel chapter 18, three, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan took off his robe and was, that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So you see the, the embodiment of a brotherhood, uh, a covenant of brothers there. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 42 says, Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and mine forever. And David left and Jonathan went back home. You see the picture now of them exchanging vows. These are friends and brothers. And their partnership was not a marriage partnership. It was a kingdom partnership. It was about the benefit and the future of the kingdom. What's interesting in this picture is that Jonathan was the one who was the firstborn son and heir to the throne of Israel. And he's forming an alliance with David in which he's literally abdicating his throne or his right to the throne, because he knows that God has chosen David to be the next king of Israel. So the partnership that they had was so preferential that Jonathan is saying, I will even give you my entire position and my future as the king, because I trust God and I want to please God and I want God's will more than I want my own personal will to be accomplished what would happen in our marriages what would happen if in our business relationships in our friendships in our relationships with our children if everything was about what god wanted Amen. not what we wanted cuz we can find ourselves in times and seasons in life where we're looking around our life going this is not the life i wanted anybody ever said that ever, ever thought that this isn't the life i wanted Right? I never planned on being a preacher. It's the number one thing I swore I'd never be. But God had a plan. The number one thing I swore my whole life, my parents told me growing up, you're called to ministry, you're called, you're called to be a man of God, you're called to do things for the God, for kingdom. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I will be a businessman. I'll be a competitor. I'll be a champion. I'll be a, all these different things, but I'm not going to work at church. I'm not going to, that's, that's the number one thing I swore. You know what the number two thing I swore? Okay, God, I'll be a pastor, but I will never start a church. I will never, ever, ever start a church. <laughs> well, here we are, right? But at the end of the day, it's not about the life I want. And don't get me wrong, I love y'all. And I love doing this. And, and it's, it's the dream I never knew I always had. Wow. Right? It's the dream I never knew I always had. I love what I get to do not easy. It's hard, but I love what I get to do. It's so enriching and fulfilling for my soul. But it wasn't about me and what I wanted. And and, and guys, if we're going to be selfish individuals, we'll never be satisfied. The only way to find true satisfaction is to be selfless and to truly give your life to the king. And here's what happens. When you delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says he gives you the desires of your heart. It also says he, he, he delights in the desires of the diligent. God, when you're diligent toward him, when you're saying, Father, not what I want, but what you want. I wanna please you. I wanna live for you. I wanna I want, I want, I want make you, I am wanna prefer you. When that becomes your life focus, God's like, hey, tell me your dream, kid. Hey, tell me what you wanna follow. Oh, is this what you really want? Okay, watch this. Because he delights in the desires of the diligent when you're diligent for him, when he's your first love. I want to talk to you just a little bit about another great partnership. This is the partnership of Abraham and Sarah. You know, interestingly enough, it's hard to find a lot of great illustrations of good marriages in the Bible. Do you know that? There's some wacky stuff in the Bible, like Jerry Springer level X-rated weird stuff in the Bible, okay? You don't ever have to look anywhere else for entertainment. Just go read your Old Testament. And, and you should never disqualify yourself from being used by God because almost every person he picked was a jack wagon in some way, shape, or <laughs> form, right? So we have Abraham and Sarah who are 75 and 60, she's 65. She's 10 years younger. And God calls them and reveals himself to them. They lived in ancient um, Iraq, the area which would be Iraq now today, a city called Ur, and God called them and spoke specifically to Abraham. And this is what he said. He said in in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse And all the peoples of the earth. We blessed through you. So Abram, Went as the Lord had said, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, 65, and his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired, all of their servants in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and then they arrived there. He said, I'm gonna send you on a journey. You're gonna go to the land. I will show you. And this passage results uh, in all of the story of Abram's life or Abraham's life is that he became the father of faith and specifically of faith righteousness because he believed God and he obeyed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, not because he did everything right, not because of anything he earned, but by faith and obedience in that faith, he achieved righteousness with God. But what I want you to understand is he didn't do it alone. He had a partner, her name was Sarai, and the number one thing that made Abram and Sarai Great partners is that they were united or unified in faith. They shared the same faith. They shared the same reverence for God and obedience for God. There's never a record anywhere in scripture of Sarai complaining or bickering or biting back or fighting back against the things that God wanted for them to walk through and do in their lives. They were in unity at every step, at every turn, they were in unity unified in faith. Listen, one of the most important things that you have to understand is if you're going to have great God relationships and great God partnerships, and please don't mishear me here because we can't win the lost. We can't draw people that, that aren't in faith to Jesus without befriending those people, right? That's the only way Jesus, it says, was a friend of sinners, but the innermost partners in Jesus' life were all people that he was unified in faith with. He was united in faith with. He wasn't best friends, intimate with sinners. He was a friend to them to draw them to the the kingdom, right? But his innermost relationships, his crucial relationships were always unified in faith. I would never be business partners with someone that didn't share my strongest faith-filled beliefs. Why? Because at some point in time, we're going to hit a position of an impasse and I'm either going to have to blow this partnership up or I'm going to have to compromise my own personal beliefs, right? So if you are a single person and you are a follower of Jesus, the number one thing that you're looking for is not tall, dark, and handsome and rich. The number one thing you're looking for is, is this person sold out to Jesus, are they willing to go to the ends of the earth to obey Jesus? And then, please, Jesus, can they be tall, dark, and handsome, and rich, right? But the first and foremost thing, the most important thing. See, when I, when I met Jennifer, I was 20, just turned 20, she was 21, and, and, and we met at church. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. That word find doesn't mean desperately seeking obsessing over, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. The only thing I can think about is to get this, is to get me some, give me a wife, give me a wife. That's not what it's about. It means to happen upon along the way. That's what the word find in Hebrew means. To happen upon along the way, which means... You're in the call of God, you're in the purpose of God, you're pursuing after the heart of God, and you look over and you see someone going the same direction, with the same interests, with the same desires, with the same God focus, and you find yourself a compatible partner because you're unified in faith. And Jennifer and I, that's how we found each other, that's how we met We we met at a church event, and then we volunteered at a church event, and then we volunteered in children's church together, and then we volunteered in youth together, and we were doing outreach stuff together, and we were just friends. For six months, we were only friends, and we were falling in love, and we had crazy chemistry, but we also did the math. You understand? You you, you can't make a great ingredient in the kitchen just because you got heat or a great a great meal in the kitchen because you got heat you got to have the ingredients got to have the right measurements right we had the chemistry we were crazy about each other we we thought each other were beautiful obviously i mean she thought i was beautiful but i mean we we really were attracted to each other but we also had all of these priorities in place one of the worst things you can do is date someone that you hope you'll get saved in the future Go into business, with someone that you hope that you could influence them to, to make uh, honorable and integral uh, decisions in the future. No, they better be a Jesus follower. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be yoked or partnered or tied or linked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What do fellowship or what fellowship can light have? With darkness, that doesn't mean, again, that you're not loving the people that are in the world. We have to love the people. You will never win. The, the rest of these seats we need to fill up and the next service that we need to start. I mean, come on, guys, you understand that's what next, right? We, we'll, we'll fit more chairs in here. We'll fit more chairs in here till we can't fit more chairs in here. And then we go to three services and all the worship teachers said, amen. All the kids ministry volunteers said, amen. Which is also why you need to go to the Align class and sign up to volunteer because we can't grow and be who God's called us to be without more people saying we're in this together, Joel, let's rock and roll, right? That's important that we have that, that we're constantly growing and and putting God's kingdom forward. It's about what he wants. It's about what he wants. But but listen, when we're talking about building the most important relationships in our life, they've gotta be equally yoked relationships. It's number one. Number two, you have to be unified in focus. You're unified in faith. And you're unified and focus. What does that mean? It means you want the same things out of life. You have the same focus in life. See, I, I've performed probably 200 mar- weddings at this point in time in my 20 plus years of, of ministry work. Um, and I'm good at it. I like it. But I won't perform a, a wedding ceremony with a couple who hasn't gone through pre-mar- premarital counseling. It just won't. Because I've learned the hard way. I, I've learned the hard way by... Hitching people that shouldn't be hitched because they haven't had the hard conversations. They haven't talked through stuff. Listen, a great premarital coach or counselor is gonna help people not get married that shouldn't. Because there's, there's the two most important decisions you make in your entire life are your decision to obey Jesus and follow Jesus and the decision of who you're gonna marry. You can ruin your life real quick with making a wrong decision in those things. You better hear God, number one. And number two, you better get some preparation uh, in your life and understand, do you want the same things? Do you like, do you have the same passions? Do you have the same, it doesn't mean, listen, two people are two people. Jennifer and I are two two totally different people. She doesn't like my shirt. She told me that today. I said, you're crazy. You have horrible taste in shirts. You have wonderful taste in men. Choice right here. But you, but I promise you, I said, Jennifer, this is the best shirt I've ever owned. It's my favorite shirt I've ever owned. And I've had nine compliments on this shirt today that she doesn't like. (laughs) Boom. What? We don't agree on everything. We don't agree on everything. And I will pay for that story. But it was worth it. Totally worth it, right? But listen, but the important things, the important things, and here's what's wild, is that so much now after 30 years together, how many things that we like that are the same things now? We like the same music, we like the same type of movies, we like that we ride on an airplane together. This is how goofy we are. We 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 literally put our earplugs in and we we pick the exact same movie at the exact same time and we watch it at the exact same, and if it's off kilter, we'll pause and start again because we're watching the same movie at the same time on a plane next to each other, and other friends of mine that are married say, ooh. But that's what we've become. It wasn't always like that, but we protect each other. We provide for each other. We prefer each other, right? And the biggest thing, guys, the biggest thing, what Jennifer and I have learned, the most important thing, most important thing, talk nice to each other. Talk nice to each other. See, I I mentioned a business partner. I've had multiple business partners in, in my lifetime. Men, when they're in business with each other, we understand the number one love language of a man is affirmation and respect. Number one love language of a woman is love and safety. That's how God made you, okay? I'm not being, I'm not generalizing. I'm going straight off the scripture. That's why the, the explanation, and if you're going through the love and respect, you'll learn all the ins and outs in the deep part of this, right? But the basic premise is God commanded a man to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Why? Because he was speaking to the innermost need inside of the woman that was taken out of man, taken out from the inside where it was covered and protected and made into a separate being where now it's exposed. And the greatest need that a woman has is protection, love, and safety and security. Jennifer, if I'm not protecting her or making her feel safe, she doesn't feel loved. Period. Okay? What is the command of the woman? to respect your husband. Why? Because God made man in his image. The number one thing that God desires is honor. And he made man in his image. And then he made woman outside of man. And so how you talk to your spouse in love or in respect, how you treat them in love or in respect feeds the innermost need that that person has in the trap of the devil is that he thinks the whole thing should be performance based and he convinced you it should be performance based. So you say, I'm going to withhold this thing my spouse needs because I don't like their behavior. So I'm going to not give them, I'm not going to sow the seed that I should sow into their life because I don't like their behavior and I'm not going to reward their behavior. And what you don't realize is you're sowing a seed of divorce. When you withhold when you withhold affection, when you withhold love, when you withhold provision, when you withhold respect, when you withhold kindness, you're sowing a seed of destruction in your life. What the Lord showed me is that if I would sow the seed when she didn't deserve it, then I would reap the harvest that I was seeking. It's the flip. See, men understand that when men talk to each other and they're wanting to work together and they're wanting to build something great together, men affirm each other. They say, you to man, high five. It's affirming, It's it's positive. They feed each other in that way. Men also know that there's a line that a man doesn't cross in how he talks to another man unless he's willing to get punched in the mouth. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. We didn't have much to do. (laughs) So so we knew this is the line. If I step across that line, somebody's swinging. And if I don't want to be swung at, I'm gonna stay back here. It's important in relationships that you understand there's a line and there's things I'll never say because I want this relationship to work. Is this too real? I I, I want this relationship to work. I, I can't say that. Because listen, man, listen, there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have something that was said over them in their childhood that still can haunt them from time to time. Right? Sometimes we say things we can't take back because those words can haunt. It's so important that you talk nice. Jennifer and I have learned this the hard way. And we try so hard now to talk nice, talk nice, talk nice, talk nice, talk nice. Why? Did you know that in the Bible where it talks about the adulterous woman that seduces the man away in Proverbs, the adulterous woman, it never one time talks about how hot she is. Never talks about how, how beautiful she is. You know what it says? that her lips were like honey and her tongue was as smooth as oil. And with her persuasive words, she led him astray. Why is it that oftentimes when an affair happens, it's someone uglier? Come on, don't act like it's not real. It's real. It's somebody uglier, but they talk sweeter. I'm just saying, it goes both ways. The number one thing that I need to do to make my wife feel loved is how I talk to her. How I talk to her, how I respond to her. And listen, I can get frustrated, I can be short, I can have a short, I can be tired, I can be whatever, I can be in the flesh, I mess up and I have to ask forgiveness, right? It's how we talk to each other. That's part of preferring each other. Did you know, Uh, there's a story in this whole Abraham and we don't have a whole lot of time and I'm I'm gonna have to let you go in just a moment. But this whole Abraham and Sarah story gets really complicated. Um, Abram was so insecure going into this new land that he convinced Sarai to tell everyone they met, when they met kings or rulers or whatever, that they were brother and sister, not his wife. Because she was so good looking Everywhere she went, the new king or the, the ruler in that area wanted to take her into his harem. She was that good looking. Now remember, they didn't start the journey until she was 65. And the last time a king tried to take her into his harem, she was 90. Listen, y'all, when I get to heaven, I'm like, where's Sarah? I want to see that woman. 90? And you're still that fine? The king's wanting to snatch you into their harem at 90? It's next level, right? So, so she would lie and say, that's my brother. And he would lie and say, that's my sister because he was convinced that a king would kill him if they knew it was his spouse. And God covered them and protected them. But watch this, Sarah lied for her husband to, pr- to protect him. That's weird, but it was only a half lie because they actually were related. They had the same dad and different moms. Listen, the Bible's weird, y'all. There's some crazy stories in there. So it was only a half-life because they were like half brother or sister and married. I'm from Oklahoma. I want to make an Arkansas joke so bad, but I'm not going to do it because I'm saved now <laughs> and I'm not going to. I did it in first service and there were Arkansas people there and you may be watching online from Arkansas. I love you, but man, Oklahoma people, we don't have many people to make fun of. So uh, anywho, <laughs> praise the Lord. But here, watch this, they, they, had a, they had a struggle. God gave them a promise, they're gonna have children. Well, 10 years went by of trying to have children, couldn't have children. So Sarah gets an idea. Hey, how about you take my, my, my servant, Hagar? Maybe, maybe if you'll take her as, a, as a, a second wife and sleep with her, maybe I can have children through her. <laughs> uh, what are you, you're the husband. You know what I've been thinking to say? How did that conversation go? I was like, uh, no, babe, that's not a good idea. I don't think I'm not in agreement with that. I, I don't know how that conversation went, but they came to that agreement. They didn't have, uh, whatever, you know, help from doctors to get pregnant at that point in time. They didn't have all the fertility stuff and all that. That was a common thing. So what happens, she gets pregnant. Now she starts thinking, I'm a wife too. She starts mistreating Sarah, who's the, head of, the female head of the house. And so Sarah, obviously, because this is how sometimes relationships go, I know it was my idea, but it's your fault. So she blames the whole thing on Abraham. It was her idea, but it's his fault. And what does Abraham do? He prefers her. He says, Sarah, she's your servant. Do whatever you want to do. I'm out on this one. I was just, I was just trying to help you uh, with what you wanted to have accomplished in your life here. So that's on you right? And, and they, that's a wild part of the story. Crazy. You know what else is crazy? Sarah, when she referred to her husband, Abraham, she called him Adon. You know what Adon means? Lord. <laughs> yeah. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Master Adon. It's where we get Adonai from the most high God, right? She, the way that they preferred and the way they spoke to each other was incredibly respectful and kind and loving. You never see a single place in their story where there was anything but kindness and preferential speech inside the relationship. Last thing, you have to be unified in future. You you don't just believe the same things. You don't just want the same things. You're going the same place. You have the same long-term destiny and goals. You have the same long-term focus in your life. You're going the same place. You're united in future. Massively important. Everything for Abram and Sarah was the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. Our future. The son of the promise, Isaac, would finally be born. 25 years, guys. A quarter of a century between the promise and him actually being born. And they had to stay united the whole way. The Bible says that, that where people dwell together in unity, that the anointing of God flows in that place. If you want God's anointing, the, anointing, the word for anointing is the presence. It's, it means to be smeared with oil or smeared with the presence of God. If you want your marriage smeared with the presence of God, you gotta find ways to be united, to be in unity. You want your business relationships smeared with the presence of God. You've got to find ways to be in unity. It only works if you're unified. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for you today. Um, I'm going to pray for you with with one last thought. Um, A number of years ago, a guy named Israel Houghton wrote a song called I'm a Friend of God. You know that song? We all sang that song. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend, right? We, we, We sang that song. And, and the truth of the matter, I mean, millions of Christians around the world, maybe, maybe a billion Christians have sung that song. And the truth is that Jesus, yes, is a friend to us. But my last question is, are you a friend to him? Jesus did everything, he laid his life down, he died for you, he is a friend to you. But are you a friend to him? What do you mean, Joel? Jesus actually said this, if you want to be my friend, obey me, obey me. The most important partnership in your life is your partnership with Jesus. He's a friend to you no matter what, but are you a friend to him? Is he actually the Lord of your life? Does he have lordship over every part of your life? Look, I've been living for, for God my, most of my life. I mean, out of 49 years, I got at least four strong decades going at this point. Right? And, and even still, I'm in a season right now where the Lord's like, lay this down. Give me that. Put this away. Change this about yourself. And if I'm his friend and if I'm his partner, that means I prefer him. And I'm willing to lay things down that I might enjoy because I want to obey him. And I want my friendship and my intimacy and my unity with him to go to the next level. So as I pray for you today, I want you to just kind of look at your life and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. This is just between you and him. My question is, as we do this, and if you'll just kind of close your eyes and just allow yourself to be introspective for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you release right now your wisdom, your knowledge, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilt or no shame. But there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you convict us? Any area of our lives that you want us to lay down, that you want us to stop, could be a speech pattern or language, could be a habit or a hobby, could be a way we spend our free time, could be an attitude or a hang up. Is there something Jesus that you want us to lay down today to be obedient to you, to prefer you. Holy Spirit, would you work on our hearts right now? Would you bring us into a place of repentance of submission of obedience because we want to be true friends with you true friends with you this moment is just between you and him But I do want to lead you in prayer. Those of you that are in this room and those of you that are watching online, I want to lead you in this prayer with me. If you'll just join me wherever you are across the room and say this, say, Father, I give these areas to you. I lay them down at your feet. I want to be your friend. I want to be your partner in the earth. I want to do your will. So I lay these areas down and I choose to obey you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead and I pledge my submission to you. You are my Lord. I wanna be your friend, a friend to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Don't miss next week. Tyler's gonna uh, come and he's gonna let you know if you made that decision, if you prayed that prayer and today was a real day of decision, he's gonna let you know what to do. But we love you. God bless you. We look forward to uh, getting to know you. We'll see you in the lobby.